Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the podcast. Rick Roberts here. Got a fun one for you today. A real live wire episode recorded live in front of the Clean Comedy Challenge participants at Third Coast Comedy Club here in Nashville, Tennessee. My guest today is agent slash comedian Larry Weaver, who I've known since 1999, although both of us started back in 1991 with different improv groups. Never crossed paths back then. His path took him through not only an improv group and beginning stand-up comedy like I did, but he kind of took a side path and began as an agent, having a booking agency back in the day and still continues that today. We're going to dig into that side of things. What are agents looking for? What can agents do for a comic? What can they not do? When should you approach an agent? What Larry looks for in videos and what other agents may or may not be looking for. All these are great ideas and insights from an active agent who books over 300 shows a year. What we're asking you not to do is flood Larry with inquiries and uh, messages trying to get listed on his uh, website that he runs as an agent. That's not what this episode is about. This is about getting his undivided attention for an afternoon to get deep insights into what agents look for. So listen closely. I advise you, please don't flood my man, Larry, with a bunch of requests. Uh, this is info out of the kindness of his heart. And uh, if, if, if he gets a ton of requests, I probably won't be able to get other agents on here in the future. So I just ask you to be courteous and professional after the episode. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Patreon supporter Jose Manek. I'm not sure if I've ever met Jose, but he became a Patreon supporter in um, May, and I wanted to reach out and say thanks, Jose, for doing that, and I'm hoping you're getting a lot out of the experience of the podcast. And again, for anybody that's you know supporting the podcast at a Club 52 level of $7 or more a month, you get invited to our monthly hangout. We just had one uh, back in July, a couple a couple days ago, had a good time with that, and look forward to the next one. All right, now we're going to jump into this episode with Larry Weaver on the School of Last podcast. All right, well, welcome out to the School of Last podcast. We're here at the Clean Comedy Challenge at beautiful Third Coast Comedy Club. How are we doing out there this afternoon, folks? Uh, Leslie did a good job of putting this scene together, and I haven't got to attend one before, so I'm a little extra excited. And on top of that, she has Larry Weaver here, who I'm going to interview and try to get a lot of knowledge out of him for you guys. Larry's not only a comic who his first time ever on stage turned out to be like a headlining gig. He's done all kinds of crazy things in his, his career, but he's also an agent. He books me, he books Leslie and some other comics. And so I'll try to get to both sides of what, what he does as a comedian that helps him get gigs, but also what we can do to make it easy for him to book us and when we should approach him and what we should have and we'll definitely get to that at some point probably in the later half of the podcast but first i want to introduce my guest larry weaver how's it going sir it's going great thanks for having me it's good appreciate it yeah thank you now i've known larry uh before you became an agent you yes. were a comic the first time we were together was right here in nashville at zany's it was and 
You played music? You played a little guitar? <laughs> yes, yes. Did you have a, a song called State Fair Girl or something like that? I did, yeah, I did. I, I, I had like a seven-minute showcase spot. Uh, you were, I guess, maybe the feature act. And I, yeah, I only had time for like one song. So I would come out and ask the audience, like, what do you want to hear? And they, like, I give them some options and they would always choose like a, either, a country, either country or rap. And I would do whatever they said. And <laughs> right. uh, it was pretty wild. And that, do you remember what year that was? Ah, ah, was it uh, 98 maybe? That sounds about yeah. right. As many years later that then I saw Larry had become an agent and was booking things as well and kind of doing the, almost like in baseball to have the player manager like Pete Rose. <laughs> you weren't betting on comedy at the time like he was as well, but you were, you kept your feet in both arenas for quite some time yes. and still do. Yes. Now, for the folks here that are kind of getting their feet wet and just trying to get established, you know, what are some things that you did early on as a stand-up that helps you be bookable, that helps you develop relationships and friendships with the comics you worked with? And then, of course, I want to hear a couple of mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. So how many people here have a full-time job right now? Yeah, almost everybody. Great. So I started out in college at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And, um, you know, being in college is kind of like having a full-time job. You have this thing that you're doing, and comedy was something I did on the side. I was a business student, and I, everything I learned in business school, I applied to comedy. I just, everything I, every class marketing, advertising, finance, whatever. I was an accounting major and I just applied it all to comedy and like, okay, I'm a product and this is something I'm selling. And, you know, I've always had a very business approach to it. So, um, you know, just starting out, uh, realizing that, you know, you want to build a brand of your name, you know, but people don't know who you are yet. But, you know, people aren't necessarily looking for you, but they're looking for comedy. There's always a need for good comedians that uh, n never be fulfilled. Like really good if you're a good, solid act, you can find work. There's because plenty of work. There, there's plenty of work, yeah. And when you for first trying to establish your identity, um, I see the case sometimes uh, where a comic, and this has more than I would like to admit, but I see a comic that's got a fully branded website, yes. fully branded business cards, and they've only done three shows. <laughs> so is there a cart before the horse thing that happens sometimes? Is that a bad idea? Or is that kind of defining who you are before you find out who you are on stage and what the audience will accept from you? Well, I don't know. I may have been that comic. I don't know. I so I, I did my first uh, time on stage in 1990. Uh, I was an open mic night on campus. I liked it, wanted to do it again, and, but there was no opportunities. I mean, there was Charlie Goodnights in Raleigh, but that may have well been another state, you know, when you're in college. So um, I wanted to do more stuff and on campus made the most sense. So I found four other guys who were like the best guys. It was a comedy contest sponsored by certs. And I picked the four best guys. And I said, let's form a group and do shows together. So we actually were a group of open mic comics basically. And we formed a group and we gave our group a name and we started doing shows as this group, the group name was called Selected Hilarity. And we started doing shows around campus. And we would have other people too, other comedians as well. But we were got the headliners, you know. And um, we very quickly developed the name. And yeah, we, we got pictures developed. We had a friend who was a photographer. And we did the pictures. And we did one sheets. Uh, there was one uh, Mac, Macintosh computer. There was one on the entire campus yeah. back then. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we had, it was a school newspaper. I right. had it. And we knew somebody there, and they made one sheets. So we had really nice stuff, like from the beginning. Um, but we, we we were good, actually. We were a pretty talented little group. And then, you know, over time, we started doing improv and sketch and different things. But we started out. It was all yeah. It was just flyers and promo and just putting it out there and articles. We had like newspaper articles before we did our first show. 
I mean, like I said, I was taking everything I learned in business school and applying it to this. And yeah, just shameless promotion, uh, nonstop. And it worked, you know. Well, you know, as far as looking at it from a business, of course, all business is supply and demand. And so back in those days, because I started roughly the same time you did, mm-hmm. uh, same years. I started in full time in 92, but did a open mic in 91 and about a half a year of that before I kind of got all the way into it. And there was, we were coming in on, there was a huge wave of comedy. Yes. And then the, the, the waves pulled back a little bit. And like me and you were standing there going, is it going to take us out to sea again? Or are we going to be stuck here on the beach? So there was still a demand. But at that point, it was probably the first time where there were more comics than stages in the yeah. early 90s. In the 80s, I heard so many stories of comics that would walk into a booking agent's office. They would have 12 calendars for the 12 comedy clubs they booked. And they said, just go put your name on a week and it's yours. Now, wouldn't we love that today, right? But we were kind of, that had happened, and then it receded, and, and we were still trying to get into it. Yeah. Um, how did you find, you know, especially with an improv group, that's the way I started as well. You know, going back to the earlier point of asking who had a job and, you know, what, should you have a good website and promo? Yes. I mean, if you have a full-time job and you're hoping to, to do this uh, as a career, go ahead, if you have the money now, while you've got that income coming in, get good headshots. You need good headshots. You need great video. Great video is everything. So yeah, get a good website now. Get the photos now. Get it all now while you've got that income. If you're thinking about you know, doing this as a career and, and leaving the job at some point, while you have that income coming in, spend all that you can and make it look as good as you can. Even if your act isn't there yet, mm-hmm. you know, get all that ready. So it's there and it's in place. And that's what we did. We, you know, we had every money that we made. So we got, you know, a few months into uh, our first show, we, we booked a show for a hundred dollars and we spent all that hundred dollars back into the show and, uh, into the company. I ran it as a company. We formed a partnership. Uh, it was real legit. Uh, you know, we had a lawyer and everything. I just did everything that I learned, you know, in, in business school. So every money we made, we started doing bars and, uh, coffee houses and things around town. We started doing charging covers. Uh, we were charging five bucks and we get 300 people. Uh, so that's a lot of money when you're in college and we didn't take any of it. Mm-hmm. We spent all of it back into the group. So uh, we knew, we heard uh, an improv group came to campus called Guilty Children, uh, which had Tom <laughs> Shalou in it. And uh, we heard about this thing called NACA. We thought, oh, we're perfect for this, you know, but we didn't know what it was or, you know, uh, Tom told, Tom was, Shalou was a great, very nice guy. He's doing very well. Uh, and he was, very free with his information, which is great. And make, making friends with other comedians and asking them questions and networking is definitely the way to go. And Tom was great. He didn't, you know, he told us how it worked. And so we, uh, they had a website and you can go on, you could, you could request some information from NACA. And we saw they had these conventions. So they had these big uh, regional conventions and then a national convention every year. And especially back then before the internet, people would, you didn't know how to c- contact a comedian you, you certainly couldn't contact a comedian directly on Twitter. I mean, you wouldn't know right. how to contact them at all. Like you, you wouldn't know their agent or their manager, or if you wanted to hire someone, you'd have no idea how to do it as a college student. So uh, there were these, you know, there was this organization that existed and we thought, man, we're, we're perfect for this. You know, we're going to, we're going to be in the NACA. So we, uh, we got the video together and we had our all promo together and we sent out a tape. We sent out a VHS tape. We made it and mm-hmm. mailed it out to all the NACA agents and NACA would send you a list of all the agents and we sent it out and we thought, Oh man, we're going to, everybody's going to want to work with us. And nobody, <laughs> nobody, not one agent was interested, not one. 
And we knew we, we knew we were perfect. And like, what, what what was the problem? And they the feedback was that we weren't mainstream enough. And we didn't know what that meant. You know, we dressed like college students, and we were pretty wild. It was a wild show, very high energy, and um, we just didn't know what they meant. So I thought, well, I've got to get to a NACA convention. I've got to go see for myself what this is all about. There's thousands of college students coming. This is the Southeast Regional, but it's huge. And they come to see these acts because back then there was no other way to, to see them. And it was the opening segment, and we're sitting around at these tables. And the, and the first group to come out was the Blenders. They were this acapella high-energy group, and they were all dressed really sharp, clean-cut. And they came out, and the place went nuts, just crazy. And I'm like, okay, okay, I get it now. We need I, suits. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. Right. So, yeah, I got so excited and I saw, like, there's a trade show and people have booths and they have promo. We had promo, but it was black and white. The good acts had color. Uh, and back then, color 8x10s were, like, super reserved yeah, for the super piece. wealthy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, we're like, okay, okay. I see what we need. And then people had posters. You had, and this is all big money stuff back then. So, I'm like, okay, okay. We, so I went back and I reported back what we saw. And I saw Vic Henley and Mike Rayburn and a lot of people that would go on to great success. So I went back and reported. I'm like, this is what we need to do. And so, yeah, immediately we started wearing uh, ties. We, uh, button-down shirt. we went to the Gap and uh, <laughs> we bought khaki pants and, and button-down shirts. And uh, they had five different color polka dot ties. So we wore ties and we did a new video. Uh, we had uh, three camera shoot. We spent like $1,500 on this video. Again, an enormous amount of money for college students. Sure. And we sent out, and every agent we sent it to wanted to book us. So just going there and seeing what seeing what works and seeing how they dressed and seeing the promo they had, seeing, you know, okay, this is going to cost money, mm-hmm. but this is what we need. Because, you know, especially for uh, comedians – who are starting out or even, you know, even at any level, 20, 30 years in, it's all about the video clip. And in NACA, it was back then. Like they will watch, I think, 60 seconds of video or something like that. And that's how much I, if you send me a video now, I will out of a courtesy watch 60 seconds, but that's it typically. Um, So you got to have a strong video and you got to hook them quick and it's got to be just dynamite. It's got to be dynamite. But that one, that that video clip uh, can get you that showcase on NACA or that booking, you know, or get an agent's attention, and it can lead, just open incredible doors for yeah. you, and that's what happened. Your group did that, you got the showcase, and then how many bookings came out of that first one? Just Yeah, so we had, our first showcase was in Boston, it was a national showcase. Uh, the night before, you know, I think the hotel next to the, we stayed down the street, because we couldn't afford to stay at the real hotel, it was like $130 or something, and it was in mind-blowing that a hotel cost that much uh so we all stayed in one room five of us we slept on the floor and then the next day at noon we did our showcase and people were it wasn't even full yet people were still coming back from lunch and sort of straggling in and we did 15 minutes and we booked over 100 shows it was like a record at the time just instant and all the people i think people not being there helped because people were like oh you missed it like it was a huge buzz so it wasn't like an overnight success because we had been doing it for a few years but uh yeah i mean we hit the ground running and we bought a van and we went out and did that so a lot of success early on yeah and that's cool and again it's still out there if you want to check it out and there's also a APCA, which is a slightly different yes, version. APCA came later. That does the same kind of thing. And they have regional showcases, and sometimes you can, you can perform in each region and get a little following going. Or you, you went right to the national one by a stroke of luck. That was your first one, was the national? 
Uh, was it the one in Boston? We had a good tape, and we had a, you know, yeah, we had a good tape, and uh, I mean, we were custom made for that. I mean, I, I actually, I say we, I knew that we were custom made before I figured out the formula, but once I saw what we needed to do and how we needed to dress and what we needed to put in the package, because you you submitted a tape, but you could also put in your folder. We had full color folder. We hadn't done show, you know, full right. color posters. Uh, I mean, we didn't spare an expense. And again, like if you have a job now and you're able to afford nice stuff, get that nice stuff. Again, even if your act doesn't uh, hold up yet, you can you can get your act better as you mm. as you have this great promo. Right. So the first package you sent in, you were kind of a little more generic, wasn't posh. It was like buying the big bag of OEOs, and then you're like, oh, they're buying Cheerios only, and you kind of got it all colorful, yeah. packaged together, and this is what they're buying. So we're, we're the same on the inside. I mean, OEOs and Cheerios, same thing, basically, <laughs> right? But it's the packaging that kind of sells things and moves it forward. So that's cool. And that was early on. You did that. And then... You know, not too many years later, I look up, and you started an agency, uh, Larry Weaver Agency, originally. Yeah. How, what what kind of drew you to that? I know you had a background in business, but also you were learning how to code and do stuff on the computers too, which kind of yeah, helped that, right? Yeah. So we did the NACA thing for uh, several years, up until about '97, I think. Something like that. It was full time for for several years. It was fun, but it's hard to keep a group together. And uh, but we, you know, it was all amicable, and we decided to go our separate ways. And then I thought, well, I'm going to be a solo act, and I'm going to go out and do NACA as a solo act, and I had some success, but not great. And and we were very successful. Like we had a lot of success, not just in NACA, but we would go to New York and L.A. and Chicago. We play all the clubs. Uh, Industry was very high on us. We did all kinds of um, auditions for like we auditioned to, when when uh, before they hired John Stewart, they were looking for people to host the Daily Show. Each of us individually auditioned for that. We auditioned for the Dana Carvey Show. I mean, people were big on us. Uh, you know, we went to Hollywood parties, New York parties. So to go from that to okay, I'm a solo act now, kind of starting over again from scratch. I didn't know it was going to be so dramatic. I thought. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's me, the guy from Selective <laughs> yeah. Clarity. Yeah, very selective I'm, now. Just yes. once. <laughs> yeah, I thought well, I was going to get even if a fraction of the bookings, it would be still mm -hmm. good money because just one person instead of splitting it five ways. It didn't turn out to be the case. Um, I thought, well, I'll do clubs and I'll go out and do that, and I uh, start doing clubs. And I'm like, I don't like this either. Uh, so I was at a point where I kind of had to start over again. I had built this thing, uh, this product, and this brand, and that was gone. And now I'm building this new brand. And I, with all the success we had, uh, you know, the nice hotels and all the great treatment and to start over kind of from scratch, I just didn't want to do it. You know, I, I featured and, and headlined some smaller rooms and, you know, again, it just at the time, at that time in my life, I'm like, I don't want to do this, you know. So um, it was right at the height of the dot-com boom and they were just handing out jobs left and right. So I thought what I, what I wanted to do was to uh, get a job. So I, I was a full-time comedian, but I wanted a job, which is strange. You don't hear that very often. <laughs> right. But I wanted to make some money to make an album. I wanted to make a studio album. I did a lot of musical comedy at the time. So I wanted to afford a studio album, which is very expensive. And I didn't want to just blow through my savings. So I'm like, I'll go get a job. Because they were just handing out jobs back then. Sort of like now, I think. Mm -hmm. Lots of jobs. So I'm like, I'll get a job and I'll save up some money. I'll make the album and I'll put that out. And, uh, and I did that, but I ended up... I think I, I thought I was going to work for like a year and I ended up working full time for like 10 years. Well, it's a lot to not only, you know, you rebranded the, the group once you came out as yourself, which is a new brand, then an agency 
a new brand. So at least you had the the experiences from the previous launches, if you would say that word, yes. to kind of get things rolling. At what point did the agency start gaining enough momentum where you're like, you know, I, I like this full-time job that I have that's helped me get this other thing running, but now I want to be this other thing exclusively and do my comedy and book other comics. Yeah. What's the tipping point? Because I think a lot of people all look for when can I go full-time or when I can, can I quit what I already have. Um, you know, you mentioned saving some money and, and being resourceful while you have that full-time job, but what does it look like or what did it look like for you to say the right yeah. thing for me to do financially is, is to quit the daytime job? Right. So before I started working the full-time job, I made a list of uh, goals for myself. So in comedy, and I never want, I ne personally didn't never wanted to move to New York or LA, which our agents, we had an agent in uh, New York and they always pushed us to move there. And I just didn't want to go. Hmm. And if you don't want to go to New York or LA, uh, don't do it because you have to really want to do that mm. uh, or Chicago or wherever. If your heart's not in it or you're reluctantly going, it'll eat you alive. Yeah, so if, if you're broke <laughs> and unhappy in Charlotte, North Carolina, going to LA is going to be 10 times. <laughs> Just don't do it. Yeah, because you'll see other people that are happy and yeah, or at least your, pretending to if be. If it's your dream <laughs> and you, you're going to make it no matter what, absolutely do it. Right. But I just did not. My, I wrote down, like, I want to live in North Carolina. I want to make this... Uh, inconceivable amount of money. I wrote down a figure that it, I couldn't figure out how I would possibly do this. And I wanted to, uh, I wanted to play at resorts and I wanted to play at beaches. Uh, I wanted to play mostly in the Southeast. Uh, and, and it just didn't, I didn't know how to do it or how this was going to happen, but I wrote it all down and I looked at it. I'm like this, the only thing I knew that I could do was to record albums and get on morning radio of course, it was Bob and Tom and John Boy and Billy, mm -hmm. and I'd had some success with that, and I could record albums and send that out, and I was doing that during my job, too. So I put out three albums, and Dr. Demento played me quite a bit, and I did some shows with Weird Al and stuff like that. Uh, so I was still performing, working the job on top of all this other stuff. Um, and still, I just didn't see how this was going to work, you know? Yeah, I was divided I was, between the two. I was working full-time job. I was performing comedy. I was making albums. I was doing the agency. And still, this these goals that I set seemed inconceivable. The things that would eventually make them possible weren't invented at the time that I set out my goals. And those things were uh, Sirius XM came along. So early, you know, as soon as I heard about Sirius XM, I sent them my CDs and I sought out people there. I'm like, sure. how does this work? And I talked to a guy there. Well, he was, a, I think he may have been the comedy programmer at the time. I'm like, how does this work? He's like, people send us CDs and we stack them up on the desk and we go through them one by one by one. And we have just stacks and stacks of CDs back in the day. This yeah. was uh, probably early 2000s. Mm -hmm. So they just had physical CDs and they would go through them and listen to them and tag, you know, assign tags to them so they could identify what the tracks were about and they would program them in. And so people started saying, hey, I heard you on Sirius XM or whatever. And I, and I was like, I didn't have satellite radio. I didn't know anything about it. Right. But uh, later I heard about Sound Exchange. Uh, and by the time I heard about Sound Exchange, which is a royalty um, program for satellite radio and other things, Pandora and other things, I had been playing, Sirius had been playing me since 2005 for, for years and years, pretty regularly on Laugh USA and. Um, Blue collar. It was blue collar radio at the time. Yeah. So, yeah, one year <laughs> there yeah. was uh, this huge influx of money, um, and also I, along that time, I 
started. Um, you remember the episode of the, the Office with the Dundee Awards, where the uh, Michael Scott gives out the funny awards, and they're really inappropriate. I had a boss who did that. Our a boss at the company I worked for, he did that, and they were terrible. They were so offensive, and I'm like, there's something here, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I was in the internet marketing, and you could actually look up what people were searching for, and I could see that people were searching for funny employee awards, and I thought, this is I'm going to make something about this and put it on the internet. And so I put this page. I just initially it was just a page with some funny award ideas, and it was huge. It was like instantly became the most popular page on my website. So that way I'm gonna make some actual funny awards and sell them. So I made a PDF document of these funny awards and I put them on sale online in 2007 maybe. And uh, I've sold copies in 60, over 60 different countries around the world. Uh, You know, America's the big market, but also UK and Australia, South Africa. I mean, it's crazy. So that took off. So I was doing all these things and they started to uh, pile up, you yeah. know, towards the end of uh, the, the 2000s. And let me just keep your thought, but I want, yes. you, I want you to hear what he, he, and I had some luck with this too, finding ways to earn money when you're not on stage. If, if the only time you can earn money is when you're on stage, you have to be on stage all of the time. If you have a family, that means you're gone. And then pretty soon you don't have that family anymore. Like there's so many things that trickle down from if I can only make money on stage. These two things made not only, you know, since money coming in income wise but now it was able to take you from your daytime job and funnel money towards this dream of running your agency and doing your comedy so right. pick it up there but i want to make sure they caught that yeah and i'll add too uh my wife is super cool uh when i met my wife she had her own job she had her own house you know she's very independent and we hit it off she's super supportive thought i was funny um and her she's moving that- in next week <laughs> she's, you got merge houses next week yes now? yes <laughs> That having a supportive uh, spouse yeah. really helps. We don't have kids. That that helps too. I mean, it makes life a lot simpler. So you know, you you got to make things work within the parameters that uh, you have. But uh, having a supportive partner is so important. And I I'm not going to say I lucked into it because I had sought that out. I had other people that I was dating before that weren't supportive. So you know, if you've been married for 20 years, you're stuck, I guess, at this point, if you're following your dream, but uh, it really helps if they're supportive. Well, and again, if they're not supportive now, when it's when it's not that successful and you're only gone three or four days a week, they're probably not going to be on board when you're gone all the time. Right. So you really get, you need to have those discussions early on. Yeah. So I was just building these things. I was, I was researching the internet. I was, I had the website and I had the awards going and then the sound exchange money started coming in and I was performing and booking people. And by the late 2000s, I was making more uh, at my side job than I was making at my full-time job. Now, my wife was supportive, but she didn't want me to quit my job. And I was really burning out. Uh, And I totally understand. And she was right to not want me to quit Mm -hmm. because we had health benefits and vacation and all that good stuff. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll just keep doing it until I can't do it anymore. And then the recession came in 2008 and I got laid off. I'm like, yes! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, well, honey, I yeah. wa- sorry. It wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't me. Yeah, so I got a severance package, and uh, it was just the greatest thing. It was so much weight lifted off my shoulders. <laughs> and I wasn't worried at all because at that point, I was making significantly more doing comedy than I was working at my full-time job. And it didn't take me long to make up that. So, But also, don't miss it. That's like... 14, 15 years into this being a, a comedian. This is a slow success story, yeah. Right. No, yeah, more than that. Yeah, so yeah, we're started, almost 20 years in at this point. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the, the agency side of things for a while. My first question is, as a, as a comedian and an agent, 
how do you still like comedians at all? <laughs> because, because you have to deal with the good and the bad and the, the non-responsive or the slow to respond or the, the poor promo that comes in, all the things. You're, you would be happy to book as many people as you could if they had the right materials, the right act. What are some things that not only new comics, but comics that are listening that have done it for a while but not had traction with an agency, you know, what are some must-haves, what are some it-would-be-nices, and what is what are some don't-ever-do-thises? Yeah. Well, here's the thing to, to realize. Everyone in here will leave with an agent. Everyone here is going to leave this clean comedy challenge with an agent, and that agent is you. Right. You are an agent. So let's let's define what an agent is. Let's let's do that. So a lot of people um, will call me or contact me like, are you, you know, are you a booker? I want to be on your show, or like I want you to book me. I'm not a booker. A booker is, and th these are my definitions. So other people may disagree, and you can feel free to disagree. But a booker is someone who can book you into a room or a show. They've got something that they've got going. A comedy. If you own a comedy club and you book the comedy club, you are a booker. You may also be an agent. And you may also be a manager. Managers typically handle more of your personal affairs and different things. Um, but it's important to know the difference between an agent and a booker. So I'm an agent, a talent agent. I represent you the same way you would represent yourself. So uh, I can't book you anywhere. People, uh, when someone calls me or contacts me and says, I want to do your rooms or right. I want you to book me, I know they don't know anything about me. And that is my number one turnoff. Don't contact me if you haven't bothered to look on my website or do any research or go to my Facebook page or know something about me. Oh, irritant. I'm getting... No, oh. it's easy to see because, I mean, I get... Because I, <laughs> because I have School of Laughs and it's on the internet, I get phone calls. You know, do you do shows on Saturday? I'm like, I do shows on Saturday. Like, can I be on it? I'm they like... They think you have a comedy club. Yeah, yeah, they think you have a comedy club because Google makes you have a location. It's just like, it gets crazy. Oh, yeah. You know, but they haven't even done that research. So they just think I'm... I've got a comedy club called The School of Laughs, you know? Yeah. So, so, so what an agent needs from you is what you need for yourself. I mean, an agent is representing you. If you've ever booked yourself or tried to get an agent, you're acting as an agent on your, your own behalf. So you need, you need a good video. You've got to have a good video. And I know a video is hard to get. It's hard to get. And it doesn't get any easier as you advance in your career. It's still hard. But you've got to have a good video. I will, as a courtesy, if someone uh, pesters me enough, I will watch 60 seconds of their video. And let me tell you, when I say 60 seconds, I mean 60 seconds. If the first 60 seconds is someone introducing you, I will stop when the 60 seconds hits the clock. If you haven't walked on stage yet, I will. people have sent me videos, and I didn't know it wasn't them. Right, you thought the person up right because they were on for five minutes before yeah. they got there. It's the MC introducing them, but I didn't know. I just assumed right. that was them. Or you know, it's a, a lot of people want to do a musical montage or something like that. I, I'm not a fan. I don't want to see it. I want you to have a joke right off the bat, a really good joke right off the bat, and just bring it. Now, if you want to do a montage or some credits or something, do it. You can put it later in the video, but start out strong. That's my opinion. That's my advice to you because I'm not going to watch much. And I will tell you because I uh, have uh, a video player on my website that I use. I don't use YouTube videos. I use a, a program called JW Player on the internet. And it will tell me how much video people watch who are booking shows. So people come to me. They want to book a comedian. I give them suggestions or they look around the website. They don't watch very much. You'd be shocked 
how quickly they drop off. They make an opinion of you very, very quickly. So it's important to start your video funny. So I can't emphasize that enough. So what I need from you is what you need to get to me is a great video. And that's what the client needs who wants to book you because I'm just, I'm connecting you with a client. Just like you would try to, if you were gonna reach a client, they're gonna wanna see that video and it needs to knock their socks off right away and get them interested. If you're just, you know, you can't come out of the shoot just limping out. You gotta really right. hit them hard. There's so much competition. Yeah, and I, I see that a lot too. Just in shows in general where the comic comes out and it takes them five minutes to kind of get into who they are. Like as an audience member, I don't even want to see that, <laughs> let alone somebody was trying to book somebody, you know, to, to have to sit. And just it may sound a little harsh, but you get a lot of requests. Yes. Right. So time is valuable. And, and to think he's going to watch seven minutes to wait till you get to your closer. No, no agency is going to do that. No client that's potentially going to book you is going to do that. And, and my, that might be one thing that's holding you back right now. You've got a great set once you get rolling, but that first minute isn't there. Use the time at this challenge to work on that opening minute, if nothing else. Or you think you've got everything going on and, and you've got good material. Maybe that first minute is good to you, but not to the others. So yeah. always be working on a new opening yes. joke. And the bigger, the stronger, the better. You'll separate yourself quickly. Yeah, and there's different videos that you need. So if you're going to uh, submit for comedy uh, festivals, which I recommend you do. I don't, don't have any specific ones that I recommend. But if there's local festivals to you, most of the festivals, maybe all of them that I've seen, want an unedited video. So they're going to want to see from... It doesn't have to be always from beginning to end, but they want to see a, uh, a block of time, and they'll always tell you how long the video needs to be. Sometimes it's five or seven or ten, whatever. Follow, if you're submitting for a festival, read the guidelines and, and do what they say to do because they will disqualify you just right off the bat. They're looking for reasons to, to, yes. to move on to the next one. <laughs> but they want to see like a, an unedited set. I don't mind seeing uh, an edited set personally. If you want to... If you have your five minutes, but you want to start the video with a little clip that gets me hooked, get me hooked. Uh, I don't mind that at all. So I don't mind a quick hook and then go to a graphic or something like that. Uh, one guy sent me a video and it was uh, it started out as a testimonial, you know, a client testimonial. And again, I didn't know, it, there was no graphic. I didn't know that that wasn't the performance. <laughs> yeah. so, so the video is all important. So I, I don't want to harp too much on that. No, but, <laughs> but I, I think it's something to it. And in marketing, and that's what you're doing when you're putting videos out, we sometimes forget that we're focused on trying to get the client to understand who we are. And we spend very little time trying to figure out who they are. And if, if you know who they are and you give them what they're looking for, then they are more apt to hire you. If you're trying to, to make it all about you, then you kind of have a disconnect. You need to show them how you're different from other comics and all those things. But if you don't have a video that shows you understand they only watch the first minute or they need to see the first minute and laugh, then you're missing the opportunity. Yeah. And so video, photos, there's no reason not to have a good photograph. Go get professional photos, please, please. And find uh, someone who knows what they're doing who's, depending on what town you're in, there may not be a comedian photographer, but uh, seek out a uh, headshot photographer for acting or... If you have to go, if you have to travel somewhere to get a good headshot, travel somewhere to get a good headshot while you can afford to do it. There, uh, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina, and in Wilmington, there's a big film community down there. And I always heard about this photographer down there that did headshots, and she's really amazing. But she's not a comedian photographer, but she's just an amazing photographer. So I hired her to uh, take some pictures of me and some other comedians. We, we 
grouped together and said, if we get, if I get like five, six people, will you cut us a, basically yeah. a day rate? She shot us for all day. So we all pulled our money together and uh, she was just phenomenal, just, just excellent. And, um, you know, you want somebody who has, these weren't in a studio. We did them uh, in a theater, but uh, she had the lighting. Someone told me once uh, for acting photos, you want to see the light in the eye. And uh, it's actual physical light. Sometimes uh, they'll use the, the round uh, ring of lights. And mm -hmm. you can actually, if you look really close, you can see the ring of light in their eyeballs there. And for so many comedians, that light has gone out many years ago. <laughs> yes. So if you can show you still have that sparkle of hope <laughs> and something to bring to the table, you're going to stand out automatically. Yes. And uh, be professional. I mean, that's the main thing. I would rather work with someone who's professional and not the funniest person in the world than, and I've worked with a lot of people who are super talented, but they are a pain and I'm just not interested. There's too many other people out there to work with who are nice and respectable and will show up on time and do a good job and the client's happy and that's what we all want. We, I don't want headaches and the client doesn't want headaches. So if you can be a good comedian, a good solid hand and uh, get a good show and provide a good product and just be professional, you can find work. I believe that. I believe it too. And if you are a headache, see if Tylenol can sponsor you for the event. Take yes. care of two birds and one stone. <laughs> We're going to wrap now. We're going to take questions from you guys if you have some and we've, if we've got a little bit of time left and uh, get some specific answers. I know you probably are thinking some things. We're going to wrap up the official version of the podcast right now. Larry Weaver, thank you very much for being with us today. Uh, thank I you, learned a Rick. few things as well. So Appreciate it. Thank you. Job. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Larry Weaver. Uh, a lot of good information in there. And again, don't flood Larry with requests to look at videos and stuff if you're not meeting the requirements that he set forward. And even then, uh, think twice. Don't run off my uh, interviewees by flooding them with emails because I don't want to not be able to get guys like Larry on again in the future. Thought he did a great job. If you see him out and about, see him doing a set somewhere, let him know you heard him on the School of Last podcast. Hey, got an iTunes review here I'd like to share from comedian Mark Steven, left on July 3rd. Five-star review says, I've been listening to Rick for a while. It is great to have such a positive and influential voice in the clean comedy arena. I tried my hand at comedy a year ago, but due to some issues at work, I stopped. The School Last podcast has inspired me to get back into it. Thank you, Rick, for the motivation and great tips. Hey, thank you, comedian Mark Steven. I appreciate all iTunes reviews. I'm not sure exactly what it does in the searches, but I know when I search for a new podcast and I see it has two reviews, I tend to skip it. If it has 120, I probably will give it a listen and see what's going on. So I thank you guys for helping me have some social proof that this podcast is doing good for some people out there. Thanks again to our Patreon supporter, Jose Menek, and to all the Patreon supporters who make this podcast happen. And a special thanks on this episode to Doc Kennedy, who is the editor now of the School of Last podcast. I would not be able to continue doing this without his help. So if you know Doc, make sure you say thanks to him and let him know you appreciate his part of keeping the School of Last podcast going. I was just about to wrap it up at episode 200 because I just didn't have the time. And Doc is going to help me with that. So thanks again, Doc, for the editing. Everybody else out there, stay safe. I guess you too, Doc. You stay safe and stay funny. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. 
For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.